turn my microphone on first, and uh, if eventually some of us get into some aerobic worship around here, I guess you don't mind, so I'm going to just move on then. I wanted to mention two of the songs that we were singing. One is um, Beautiful One. I've mentioned that because uh, I've referred to it several times because where I learned that song was at a conference where people with gender confusion were pressing in to honor God and figure it out and get their hearts straight. And uh, it was just an awesome experience. And I want to tell you, when they worshipped in that group, um, I mean, it would be... It would be culture shock. Let me just put it this way, because one, I mean like that, really, it was awesome. I liked it, sorry. I told you I was weird when you hired me, I told you. And the other one is um, the one that we were singing, uh, every tongue in heaven and earth will bow down and worship. How come we're so hesitant to bow down? I'm just wondering. There is something about posture sometimes that communicates something into the soul, into the spirit. So I'm just recommending um, feel a little more freedom maybe than you have. And uh, I've said to some people privately, maybe we ought to pull way up in the front so if you want to you know, get on your knees or whatever you can and you won't disturb anybody. Okay? What is going on in this church today? Okay. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. And uh, I would like all the females in the, wor- in the, in the world. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I would like that, but I don't think they can hear me. I would like all the females in the room to stand, if you would. Because these are either mothers, want to be mothers, or will be. And I don't know how the rest of you feel, but I thought God's invention of male and female was brilliant, personally. (laughs) I'm very happy about it, and um, I want to pray for um, everyone that is standing, so please stay standing, and and would you join with me, and you can, uh, as a a female, you can pray with me, but men especially, I feel kind of um, a little self-conscious that we do things like this once in a blue moon, right? We talk about praying for ladies, women. We pray for, uh, wait till Father's Day comes. You're in trouble. It's coming. And uh, pray for our children once in a while before they go downstairs. And it's appropriate, isn't it, for us to ask for grace on one another. So let's bow our hearts before our Father in heaven. God help us here. I want to thank you, God, that you chose to create in spite of the mess we were going to make. You would still get glory to yourself and you would still give us reason for living and joy on the journey. And so, Father, today uh, we're grateful. Uh, We do celebrate uh, motherhood and uh, we know it's the way we have come into being under the sovereign hand of God. It's a tough day for some people, God. We think of uh, moms that desire to be, uh, wish to be moms, those who have been defrauded, abandoned, uh, have lost children. Uh, God, these are not always fun things. I want to thank you that you are a father to the fatherless and will stand by the widow. And that's not meant to be limited in that language. It means you care for us where we are. 
and whatever pain we're carrying and whatever disappointments. I pray, Father, for all the young ladies in the room. God, that they would be aware of the dignity you've given them as daughters of the living God made in your image, that they would value what you've given them, that they have holiness as part of their nature, both physically, spiritually, and in their uh, redemptive life as well. God, that they would serve you with their body, souls, and spirits. Lord, you have so much more goodness uh, planned for our lives than we often lay hold of. Sometimes we derail ourselves. Sometimes other people derail us. I'm praying for mercy and grace to bring correction and healing and even authority to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil in these days. Help us. Thank you that when we belong to you, you gift by your Holy Spirit every brother and sister. You've given gifts and abilities to serve you, and sometimes there are callings on our lives that even your church sometimes has trouble discerning. And so, God, help us not to be in your way. Let us help every young woman who has a call on her life to serve you in some remarkable way. God, help us to launch them and encourage them and to bear much fruit. So, Lord, we commend ourselves to you. We're living in a day that is confounding. So how much more men and women need grace and clarity? Lord, you're not the author of confusion. You're the one that gives us love and a disciplined mind. And we pray that portion on every girl and woman in this room and ask for good things coming into the future. In the name of Jesus, we pray, dependent upon you and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanks for putting up with me. I was actually pondering. I, I've been actually quite nervous about this morning, you know. I've had two nervous weeks in a row. And uh, I think just what I did a moment ago, think about this. Ten to twelve years from now, that might be very difficult and complicated in the typical local church to ask women to stand. Just saying. It's the culture that we're in. So today, I thought it was very nice of the Lord to providentially put a portion of Scripture that is appropriate for this morning. So, our text, you heard read a minute ago, it's chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. If you haven't turned there, it's on page 570 in the paperback pew Bible. If you want to follow along and make sure I'm not making anything up, because I don't do that anyway. But let's look at uh, Lucy Stone pondered. How many of you know who Lucy Stone is? One person did because his daughter's named Lucy and she's home running around while your wife is sick. I'm going to try to preach for at least three hours so that Mike can stay here. And, and I, No, I'm not doing that. In fact, Quite the contrary, I'm going to try to be crisp because everybody says we want to beat the crowd for Mother's Day at the restaurant, right? Don't get too excited. I'm not done yet. Okay. Well, I'm going to explain it in a minute. Let me just say that if you're visiting with us today, we've been in a series in the book of Philippians together. We've been trying to glean from it. And it does happen that in this chapter, we have specifically women servants of Christ addressed. 
And so it's appropriate that we unpack that a little bit and maybe have a little bit of fun and a little um, stretching of our gray matter, if you will, with some information that might be new to us. And I did have uh, someone, I won't mention any names, Gene Bozick, uh, who asked me, well, what happened to chapter 3, verses 7 and on? Well, it's right there. So nothing happened to it. It's right there. But when I get further on in chapter 4, what is found in those texts will tie into the principles we're going to see later in chapter 4. So that's why I made this strategic decision to bypass it, especially for Mother's Day. So, again, happy days, mothers. And uh, Lucy Stone pondered. Well, let me show you who Lucy Stone is, if I might. And let me also say that for some of us in the 21st century, some of what I'm going to say today is going to be like, seriously, you bothered to even say that? But on the other hand, for some of us in churches, we carry some very uh, conservative, sometimes provincial views, some of which may be right and some of which may not be so right. So my point today is not to rebuke anyone unless... I should, and uh, it's not to change your mind if you're persuaded a certain way, that's fine, but just that we learn how to do what this text is really about, which is to think together in a profitable way rather than demanding our own way all the time. That's a theme that comes out in the book of Philippians over and over again. Here's Lucy Stone. She is, I think she's kind of cute in, an, in a 19th century kind of way, you know, and uh, Lucy Stone was born in 1818 and lived till 1893. She was a Massachusetts girl with very clear Christian roots, by the way. As many of the people of that day were founded on fundamentalism, uh, congregationalism, Presbyterianism, such as that. She had a congregational root. She thinks she wandered in her later years, but that was her background. Uh, Anybody want to guess why she's famous? Because she is. How about Susan B. Anthony? Ever heard of that name? Yes, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, both of them. Yes, women's suffrage, the right to vote, right? So here's the story of this young lady, Lucy Stone. She was the first woman from Massachusetts and one of the very first women at all to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. She went to Ohio to a school called Oberlin. I don't know how many of you might be acquainted. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But she is known, if you look her up or Google her, you'll see she is cataloged as a suffragist, a woman's right activist, but also an abolitionist, which is where a lot of this began, was because of the obvious injustice of what was happening to African-Americans. So um, she was committed and trying to process through the concepts revealed in Scripture. For example, oh, here's, here's trouble. There's verses in the New Testament about husbands being head of the wife. Well, it must mean something. But I'm not talking about it today. But one of the things that she decided was, well, if that's true, I want to honor what it says, so I just will never get married. So she can lead. See, brilliant. Brilliant. But she didn't stick to it. 
She married a man named Henry Brown Blackwell, who was an abolitionist, and of course they would have had affinity naturally. In fact, what's really fun, you know, when you start digging in all this, I actually learned a few things on, on this. Uh, well, I learned a lot, but I mean, I'm, I'm still learning, and I learned a few items to, on this uh, message. It was kind of fun. Here's an incidental historical stuff that uh, got un, uncovered. Henry Brown Blackwell um, had relatives, two sisters, who were some of the very first pioneer female doctors. Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, that completely politically correct, nonsensical, historically, uh, uh, story was probably inspired by some of those people, specifically. It just wasn't happening back then that women were getting college degrees and going out into work, and, uh, but they were. Oberlin, the oldest continuously operating co-educational school, admitted four women in 1837. One of the very first graduates was Mary Jane Patterson in 1862, the first African-American woman to earn a bachelor's degree. Now, here's a name you'll recognize. Oberlin's done what most places like Yale, Harvard, and all the great seminaries. They were seminaries. Did you know that? They were Bible-teaching schools. They've all slid into modernism and liberalism, and Oberlin's done the same. But back in the 1800s, the second president of the school's name was Charles Grandison Finney. Ring any bells? The great revivalist who literally burned over the districts where I lived previously of upstate New York. Interesting thing about Charles Grandison Finney, he saw women as inherently morally superior to men. Oh, I, who said amen? I heard an amen. I can understand why he thinks that. You know, let's face it. In much of the church, it is women who are responsive to the gospel faster than men, correct? And not only that, even in the early church, the story of the Philippian church was the same type of thing. It was leading women in the community who opened their homes and established the church. That's where it began. That's Okay, so, anyway, many alumni, because of that, women aspired to go into the mission field, and that's how many started in the original mission movements. Women went as missionaries overseas often. Now, today, we would consider where she was living at the time somewhat barbaric. It was absolutely um, against the rules, first of all, to get educated sometimes, but then secondly, to debate, and especially to debate or speak publicly, and to debate with a man was scandalous. Well, those days are long gone. We don't even see that as an issue. However, there are places in the world today, we know, where young women, like Pakistan, are shot. Literally, teenage girls are shot because they simply want to go to school. So it's not as though we have solved this in the world yet. As I referenced about two months back, the story, I Am Malala, the girl who survived that kind of attack. It's a remarkable story, worth Googling and looking up and watching the videos. All of that makes you wonder. So, just like, uh, forget just like, our culture tends to slide in certain directions. I have used an expression periodically called pendulumitis. We tend to swing way over in one way, in one direction, in order to counteract some misuse in the other direction. 
So a parent is too strict raising his children, so the children raise their children to run wild. It's totally the opposite. Somewhere in the middle is where health would be. Same thing is true in this subject. We live in a culture where we have moved from gender inequality to all the way to where we're seeing a complete denial of gender, that it doesn't even exist or it doesn't matter in any way. Neither of those swings of the pendulum are healthy, and the scripture gives us some sane permission within its words to help us navigate a little bit. So let me just say, um, this particular passage, I'm going to save the, um, the exhortation, if you will, mostly till the end. I just want to review what we've been looking at and move on with the first verse that we heard read. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. If, you have, uh, if you're a note keeper, there are notes in your bulletin. You can follow along. This first thing is giving us the environment of the Philippian church. It's just reminding us why this text is here. The second verse that's coming up has often been misunderstood, and that's why I'm preaching through it. First, understand the environment. The church was one of Paul's favorites. These were solid believers. They loved the Lord. They were fruit bearers. They modeled Christianity. They modeled uh, the kind of Christ-like spirit you're supposed to model, especially before non-believers. I agree 100%. I was talking to the young lady over there. Young, yeah. The environment. Do you remember the story from Acts chapter 16? If you want to take time, some other... Not right now, I'm preaching. Some other time you can read Acts chapter 16. It's a great story. Lydia was the businesswoman. She was the local owner of the Gap. I'm just saying, boy, we're having a rough time. Did you have a rough morning today or not enough coffee? Okay. So she ran the business. She was a seller of purple. That means she was in textiles, all right? And uh, she's the first significant person in the community that Paul... Uh, sees come to genuine faith. The Lord opened her heart. You remember that? And the house church begins in her home. The jailer was the next one who was turned around, you know, a corrections officer. You know how that is. And uh, so he gets turned around. There's one more story we never looked at. We never looked at this. There's a girl who is a fortune teller that the scripture makes clear has her power through demonic source. She's got a demonic spirit in her. She annoys Paul one day, and he rebukes it. I don't know if it looked like some of the TV stuff, but it's like, I loose it off you, and anyway, it was gone. And her owners have a fit because they just lost their business. That's how he ends up in jail and persecuted and all of that. When there's this fantastic church plant going on, they get in trouble because of that. We're going to come back to that subject, which I haven't even touched on yet. Yeah. So... Businesswoman, household leader, the foundation of the church, just point of interest. The church has lost ground a lot in this uh, last 30 years because so much of the workforce of the church went out into the workforce. By the way, I didn't say that was wrong. I'm simply saying that's what is. So many assemblies had as their backbone, let's say, the ministry of women who were stay-at-home moms, especially back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, right? So that context has changed. 
But it doesn't mean that that's the only context because go back to the story with Lydia. She's running her own business. Should be obvious. See, you don't want to hear it, do you? <laughs> it's my fault. Big mouth pastor. So, Paul is reminding the saints of what their context is, and in that context, the Roman Empire was slight. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> The, uh, the context was volatile, and that's why earlier on when we started the book, we read this. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so whatever happens, I hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. By the way, there it is again, with one mind. What does that mean? A bunch of cookie-cutter clones that all think the same thing? No. It's an attitude we have to embrace. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. They were up against persecution in those days. And he writes to them and says, So stand firm, my joy and my crown. Very interesting. The word crown. I have here a little, uh, what would be a trophy, a medal, you know? If you win something, you win a race, you win a karate match or something. That's what that is. The word for my crown is this. It's, a, it's called Stephanos. In those days, that's where the name Stephen comes from, by the way. So Stephen means crown, literally, in Greek. All right? I have a son named Stephen. Instead of looking like this, in the days of the early church, the Roman and Greek pattern was to take olive branches and roll them, fold them together, and wrap it around your head. You've seen that in, you know, Roman movies, stuff like, like Gladiator, whatever. You'll see that thing around. That's the wreath. That's the crown. of. It's not like a crown like gold. It's that trophy, that medal that you get for winning. What I love about that verse is he's saying, you are... When I get to glory, some of us can't wait to get our little crowns. I don't know if it's going to be literal. Wow, thank you, Jesus. I get one of these. I'm so happy. You know, What is Paul saying? You guys who are following Jesus in difficult days, you're still holding forth the word of life. You are my crown. You are my joy. When I stand before Jesus, you being there is all the reward I need. That's what I'm glorying those who stand firm in the Lord, and he refers to them as his beloved. Well, that's the, the environment that they're in. So let's move on to the exhortation. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. I want to be very clear. This was not a reference for them to live long enough to join Harmony Baptist Church. <laughs> it's not about that at all. Right? He's saying to live in harmony as in having like-mindedness and there's some point that he's trying to make. Their names, just curiosity on the sidebar, uh, their names literally, are they're named after um, some of the gods of the, of the non-Christian, non-Jewish world. Right? So euodia is the word for successful journey. So it means success. And syntyche means um, lucky, <laughs> based on the goddess of fortune. So their names are these, and uh, that's not uncommon in that culture. It affirms to us that we're dealing with Gentile women 
who are now in a position of leadership in the assembly. Years ago, I heard a preacher, he was a missionary, and a friend of mine happened to be touching on this particular verse and sarcastically referenced it as such. I urge odious and soon touchy to live harmoniously in the Lord. (laughs) You didn't like that? Let me read a comment on this. If I may, one of the best commentators on uh, the book of Philippians is an extremely bright and articulate and careful scholar named Gordon Fee, who uh, made a contribution to the New International Commentary on the New Testament. I find his insights extremely enlightening and accurate and careful. In the light of the total letter, some people would look at this and think that there was some kind of a spat going on. In the light of the total letter, however, and the nature of Paul's exhortations, it seems most likely that their disagreements were not substantial and had more to do with about how to do gospel, how to do the gospel, than it had to do with them having a fight. Maybe it had something to do with the present suffering. One of them may have found that what is called the Jewish option was attractive. That is, we're a subcategory of Judaism. Therefore, that will relieve us from some persecution. Maybe that's it. Just as an aside, if you're not aware of it. In the early church, there were those who tried to provoke martyrdom. In other words, they thought it was good to kind of like choose off the culture and say, come on, you know, right there, I dare you, that kind of a thing. In other words, earning martyrdom as a prize, but doing it in the flesh in the wrong way. And so some early leaders had to rebuke that and tell them to cool their jets, if you will, because that's not sensible at all. We never pray for persecution, never ask for it. That's not biblical. Now he goes on. How to do the gospel. But we simply can't know for sure, but it is male chauvinism, pure and simple, that thinks the issue is more purely personal and related to there being women. At issue in this letter, it's not some petty quarrel between two people, but the gospel in Philippi is what is at issue. Everything in the letter points in that direction. There's no reason at this point to think otherwise, and almost certainly the significance of singling these two out in this way is related to the significance of their roles as leaders. In other words, their models. See, people take a passage like that and say, oh, here's what happens, you know, typical thing, people having a fit and fighting with each other. No, I want blue curtains. No, I want red curtains, and they're fighting over that. That's not even what's going on. And something you need to note, Paul doesn't, think, doesn't um, single out people by name unless he's rebuking heretics. Or if he's saying, these people who are with me are greeting you along with me. Then he names names. When he talks about people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, we just went through that passage, he doesn't name any names. So how likely would it be in this church of people that he loves and is just thrilled by, would he trash somebody publicly? He's not doing that. He's saying, you two are leaders. It's important because of the people who gravitate in your leadership circle that you show that you're agreed on how you do gospel and how you do church. Make sure you lead them well. That's what he's referencing. So make my joy complete by being of the same mind. It's the same language that we saw in another text earlier. 
Make my joy complete, being of the same mind. Another one, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word is phreneo, to be minded in a certain way. It doesn't mean I think identically. It means I'm willing to come into agreement about how we should do this together as an assembly. Boy, if anything, uh, does this apply to Baptist churches? Because they vote on everything, you know. You have to come into agreement on how we're going to do things. How do you do church? How do you present the gospel? What are the best ways? I'm going to pass over the uh, chapter 3, verse 2 reference because maybe there was a disagreement about whether they need to be more Judaistic, uh, instituting some of the legalism some people were trying to bring in, but I don't think that was it. The best explanation is that they were dealing with how to preach the gospel and not provoke more opposition and persecution than necessary. I've said this before. I don't want to be like, this is Mother's Day. It should be a happy day, right? don't want to be negative, but God bless you. If you're, if you're parents today, how we need the grace of God in the days ahead. We are in difficult days. And I believe it is going to become more harsh, certainly before it gets better, if it gets better. How do you avoid opposition? What are the best ways to do Christianity? Do Christians disagree on these things? In local churches, do they need to be like-minded about these things? Okay, so let me meddle for a second. You knew this was coming, right? This is, so far, it's been pretty academic, and we're like, okay, you're going somewhere. We know you're going somewhere. So far, we can't figure it out, but we know you're, that's because I'm not clear enough, right? Example. Where I came from, uh, the, it was the birthplace of a group called Operation Rescue. Anybody remember them? Literally, people would link arms and block the doors of abortion clinics. That was, that was their method. It was a prophetic word, not only to the church, but to the community. The question becomes now, 25 years later, does that still work? Or is that making more of a gap between non-believers and Christians? That's certainly a place where Christians disagree, is it not? Do we not have to have some method of addressing the community that we're in agreement will be the best and most loving way to draw people to Christ? Yes? Let's talk about another hot topic, Christian education. Am I sinning because my kids are in public school? Am I sinning because kids are in Christian school? Am I sinning because I'm homeschooling? Nobody wants to answer the question. You know, afraid to answer the question. No, I heard some mumbling. Yeah. So my point is, let everyone be persuaded in his own mind. I don't have to have you under my control to think my way, but we do as an assembly have to decide we're going to be respectful of all people, whatever their conclusion and whatever they choose, even if we choose this path. Look, if I'm living in um, Lancaster and I'm going to a, you know, a, to a, a Mennonite church, my wife is going to wear a prayer hat. How come all you women aren't wearing prayer hats today? <laughs> I'm not, well, how come? 
It's in there. Huh? <laughs> that was good, Chelsea. Doesn't match my outfit, she said. That was... Because we recognize that there's a cultural dimension to that and things have changed. It doesn't mean the same thing it did then, right? But if I'm in that community, I'm going to be like-minded with them rather than fight with them. And if they come here, they're free to wear that, but they don't have to here because we are going to operate like-mindedly. Anyway, there's all kinds of polarizing issues where we're challenged to be like-minded. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes respect. It takes stop trashing your brother and sister behind their back. That's what it takes. My brother's parked over here. I think he's wrong. He's free to be wrong. But we have agreed together to work this way through that particular issue. Okay, so there's the exhortation. But now we come to the clincher. You ready? Yay! This is the fun... We talked about the environment. They were in persecution, and Paul was concerned that they all speak the same. When they're not, not all clones, but they all have that same message going out to non-Christians. Number two, there's an exhortation for Euodia and Syntyche, who are undoubtedly, we're going to prove it with this verse, leaders, significant leaders in the church, that they model being together on how to do the gospel so that everyone says, hey, our leaders are together. We need to be following that. Here's the last one, the esteem that Paul holds these people in. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women look at the language who have shared my struggle in preaching the gospel and building the church. They've been right alongside me. I can honestly tell you, been 40 years in ministry, I have had phenomenal men and women, women, who have done tremendous works of discipling and counseling and transformational work in men and women, that they have helped. These women who've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow laborers, soon together, we've looked at that word earlier, whose names are in the book of life. There's the best thing in the verse. Your names are in the book of life. Do you know today that your name is in the book of life? We're going to sing about that at the end. How do we get in the book of, the li- of, book of life? It's by the grace of God, by trusting Jesus Christ, shed blood, paid for your sins because he loves you specifically and wants your name in the book of life. Oh, I don't want to preach on that, but the point is, well, I do. <laughs> Actually, God had it in mind that you would be in the book of life. It's us who chooses to get erased out by not responding to his great gift of love and sending his son to rescue us. Can I just say that the issue that Paul is dealing with in this church is the reason that people ignore, more often than not, the son of God who loves them and gave himself for them. It's not Jesus. Most non-believers don't have trouble with Jesus. They kind of like him. He's kind of a neat guy. Did a lot of good things, did miracles, was loving, went against... uh, Pharisees, you know, they like them. It's the presentation of believers that comes across not so good sometimes. That's what works against. That's why this verse, this this text is so critical, to be like-minded and presenting that kind of spirit that attracts people to Jesus. One sidebar. Anybody want to guess who true comrade is? Nope, he's not there. He's not there yet. This is kind of fun. This is one of the things I learned. I didn't know this. 
Hey. How did you guess that? You're all missing this, right? She was just saying he's the one in the Bible who recorded the most detail, especially the history of the church. And that's exactly how we know it's probably him. We don't, don't, you don't want to die on this hill. But it probably is. And here's why. Luke, Luke, the beloved official, uh, uh, the beloved physician, he may have been official. He's official now. He's one of the apostolic team. He was traveling. You read the text in Luke, you know, in Acts. Acts 16, we came to Philippi. The church gets planted. Then Paul and Silas leave. It's not we anymore. Guess who's still there? Luke is probably the bishop. He's the one watching out for the church. And so Paul says, hey, listen, bro, remember when we were together? Help these women. Here's the language. You know how we would say this today? Hey, can you get a hold of these guys and pull them together? You know what I mean? That's how we would talk. Like, oh, Oh, I, I heard that, that Larry and his son-in-law aren't getting all... Well, get a hold of these guys and, you know, talk them through this. You know, they're, they're, they're players here, okay? So talk them through this. Does that make sense? Get them together. Talk them through. Help them settle on. Here's the path. Here's how to do the gospel in unity. Not become clones. Here's how to solve this. Get a hold of them and help them. They are my fellow workers. They slaved with me, struggled, agonized. The Greek word for struggle is usually uh, from where we get athletics. Sweat. In preaching and building the church, they were with me along with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They're prominent individuals. Now, here's a place you can heartily disagree. I'm going to throw it out anyway, just for the fun, fun of it. But there will be some exhortations you better not disagree with. You can disagree with my thinking, but not with the exhortation. Here it is. There have been preachers of the gospel. We have leadership in the New Testament. Clearly, that's feminine. Let me give you two examples very rapidly, and then I'm going to close this out because you all want to go eat. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. Weak translation, literally singular male, deacon, that's the language. So deacon was male or female. We, we say deaconesses, but that's Americanski. We added that. A deacon of the church which is at St. Crea. Deacons were leader material. They were people who led. In fact, the only qualification different between a deacon and an elder was the apt-to-teach bullet. You receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. In other words, when she gets there, whatever she says, get it going. I mean, that's a certain amount of authority, don't you think? I understand authority. I do. I think that's an issue that needs to be addressed, by the way. However, there are contexts I go in, I have to discern who's the authority here because I'm not. In the church at times, something's happening where people who are really skilled and gifted and know what they're doing, they're the authority. Okay, you take it. I'm in submission. Because I'm not, in char- I'm not an authority on that. When it comes to the breaking of the word of God, now, now that's another subject. That's my job. That's just one example, but here's another one. This one's even better. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But notice, he had a limit. Being acquainted only with baptism of John. 
He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him more accurately the word of God. They explained it more accurately. They explained it to him. It's not insignificant that Priscilla is listed first. That's not insignificant. But I, like I said, I wouldn't die on that hill. But there's no question they are discipling a preacher. That's what's happening in this particular text. So let me mention some things that I find interesting. <clears throat> Ministry that has gone forward around the world at the hands of female servants of Christ. Ever, ever heard of Amy Carmichael? Missionary who got girls out of slavery and out of uh, the sex trade and all the, one of the early implants in India. Big name. I think we've heard of Mother Teresa. Uh, Anybody know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Tremendous lady. The one who had her husband martyred, and she and another missionary wife took on the call to go back to those people who murdered their husbands and lead them to faith and build a church, and there was no other male preacher, just two brave women. Now, they should have been rebuked, right? That's a little sarcasm there. Okay, so you get all I'm trying to push on is that it's good for the church when we're coming out of more conservative roots to be gracious and respectful of the things that God has chosen to do, even if it doesn't totally fit in what I thought was the right context. I may be talking into the air because nobody cares anymore, but I have a feeling some of us may. And some of you may think that I'm sliding into liberalism. Trust me, I'm not. Samples. I mentioned uh, the, the training that I was at, and it was in that context as I was sitting during multiple sessions. Do you remember Gary Ingram when he came down and spoke to us? And he's the one that took us over to San Diego to take in this training. If, if Gary were to come back and minister to us and teach the stuff that has been transformational in people's lives who are wrestling with all the sexual destruction of our generation, and we have tons of it. He and his wife would both be teaching. They teach together. Am I sinning because I listen to that? I was in this context where I, um, I was on, on the West Coast, and various people were sharing something that God had cemented into their spirit and gave us light, and uh, this woman who had been rescued out of her lesbian background was teaching on the role of the Jewish father in the home. And in the middle of this, since I come from a broken home, she's talking about the blessing of his children. And as she's going through that lesson, I broke down sobbing. The spirit just quickened some truth into my soul. Do I have to repent of that? I'm just curious. Because I've seen... When a woman has taken a place to teach a mixed group, men self-righteously stand up and storm out of the room, manifesting the sweet spirit of Jesus incredibly. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to agree with it. I'm just saying be like-minded and act like a Christian, if possible. That's all I'm trying to say, that God has done some remarkable things. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? He's going to, 
See, he hasn't passed away yet, right? He's going to momentarily. I'm sorry, I'm keeping, having a hard time. He lost his wife while we were doing uh, his thing up north. But anyway, his, he's got a son, uh, Franklin Graham, who's really his forte is uh, Samaritan's Purse, which we support. And he's got a grandson that they kind of would like to take the mantle of preaching the gospel. But you want to know who the best preacher in his family is? The best gospel preacher in his family. His daughter, Anne Graham Lott. I've heard her preach and it's like, bam! And why shouldn't a woman preach the gospel to lost people? Makes sense to me. We're not talking about violating authority in the local church. That's a whole other subject. Okay? And that's what we do. We run right ahead. What is this heretic teaching? I'm saying if God puts a call on someone, I have encountered brethren in ministry, women in ministry. I don't know how to sort all of that. I come out of that conservative background, okay? I don't know how to sort it all out. But clearly, I have chosen to respect and honor what they're doing when they're loyal to, to the gospel. So just an exhortation toward growing in grace as brothers and sisters. Because sometimes God works out outside of your little box kind of shakes things up a bit. And I understand that many times, you know, certain contexts, we think, well, they're liberal, they don't believe the Bible, but some of the ones I've rubbed shoulders with are not by any means. They're as loyal to the Scripture and honoring God as anyone I know. So learn to walk in some humility as well as like-minded in how we will deal with it ourselves as an assembly. Well, I want to thank you for putting up with that. I wish you a wonderful Mother's Day. Let me close with this verse that encourages us as the worship team comes because we're going to sing in Christ alone. And this verse is found in the book of Galatians. The reason we are together and that we are children of God and that we can even lay hold of having the right mindedness together is because of this. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's who we are, belonging to him because of the grace of God. Let's sing about it. Why don't we stand as we close?